0: Amen. Please take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy one final time in this series 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. If you uh, need a Bible, if you're perhaps new to our church and need a Bible, there are some on the table in the resource, uh, on the resource table in the lobby, and be glad for you to take one of those uh, home with you today and use it now during the service as well. The message of 2 Timothy is that Timothy was to guard the word despite. Opposition, despite the hardship that comes with faithful gospel ministry, and we are called to that same ministry today, in this community, at this time in human history. So please read along. I'll read aloud as you read quietly from Second Timothy chapter four verses 9 through 22. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds." The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. These were the most famous words of a man named Jim Elliot, who gave his life for the preaching of the gospel. He realized that life is short, that you only get one chance. And the way you use your life reveals what your priorities really are. So I would ask you, how did you use your Saturday? You have day one of a three-day long weekend. What would you say your time spent reveals about what you love, about what you prioritize? Maybe you fixed something or did some yard work or went to a bunch of garage sales or to a sporting event or any number of other possibilities, but I would just submit that the way you used your time yesterday reveals what you love. And maybe it revealed really good things about you. You love your family and your community and love taking care of your house and your garden. Nothing wrong with any of those things. What you do with your time reveals what you love. And that's certainly the case in this passage that we've just read as well. Paul is reminding us that our priorities reveal what we love. And what he is urging us implicitly to do in this passage is to make your Make the Lord's priorities your priorities. Make what the Lord loves what you love. Make what the Lord gives His time to what you give your time to. In our passage today, then, we, we see what the priorities were of Paul as he was at the end of his life. As far as we are aware, these were the last words that Paul ever wrote or at least ever uh, the, the last words that he wrote that were passed on to us. And so what were his priorities at the end of life? I would say there were three, and I would say these are the same priorities that we should have in our lives as well. The first is the encouragement of other believers. The second is the proclamation of the gospel. And the third is the glory of God. These were what marked Paul's life from the point of his conversion on. However many years that was from the time that Paul became a follower of Jesus on that road to Damascus... To when he was killed, perhaps after this stay in a Roman jail, his priorities were the encouragement of other believers, the proclamation of the gospel, and the glory of God. And may the Lord give us grace to make these our priorities as well. Make the Lord's priorities your own. The first should be the encouragement of other believers. Of course, Paul needed his own encouragement as well, which is why he urged Timothy to come to him. And you see that in uh, chapter 4 verse 9 do your best to come to me soon you see it again in verse 21 do your best to come before winter and we saw it back in chapter 1 where he said as i remember your tears i long to see you paul wanted timothy because he knew timothy needed encouragement and he knew that his own heart needed the encouragement that timothy could bring with him but he mentions Many other believers, in fact, he mentioned 17 individuals in this passage, a few in a negative way, and we'll certainly cover those in a moment, but most of them in a positive way, saying this person has gone to that place to preach the gospel, and this person has gone to that place to preach the gospel, and at the end, he's simply passing along greetings from Roman Christians to Ephesian Christians And, uh, you know, beyond giving all these specific names, he also says, and all the brothers, all the other Christians I haven't had time to mention or my hand is cramping right now. So I'm not going to write any other names, but you know who I'm talking about. All the Christians here in Rome send their greetings to you all in Ephesus. Paul knew these people needed encouragement. And so that's why he partnered with them and why we need to partner with them as well. One of the most specific ways that we can partner with other Christians is by joining a church. And I know that shocks you to hear me say those words. The first time in seven days that I've said those words. We need each other's help. We need each other's comfort. We need each other's compassion and conviction. And that comes through meaningful church membership, church relationships. But it also means that we partner with Christians in other places, which is why I love that even before I got here, you all were praying for other churches regularly in your worship services. And we continue to do that because we want to remember every single week, every single time we were together, that we are not the only church even around here that's preaching the gospel. I met with Bob Tarullo from Westminster Presbyterian Church just around the corner. I mean, they're meeting a mile at the very most from us right now. And I give thanks for that church. And I enjoyed that conversation immensely with him. Uh, We don't agree on everything, but we agree on ninety seven percent of things, and that other three percent, the Lord will tell us who was right in heaven and we'll be rejoicing in whatever that fact was at that point. It won't matter at that point. The the bottom line is Bob's church, Westminster Presbyterian, and our church, Brainerd Avenue Baptist, are preaching the same Christ. And we're gonna do that until the kingdom come, basically. And so Uh, we love to partner with other churches. And I just want to encourage you and remind you again, this is why we're having a conference in 15 days to encourage other Christians. And you are welcome to come to that too and to bring other average Christians. It's called a pastor's conference, but that doesn't mean it's just for pastors. So we'd love for you to come and love for you to tell other people you know about it because we are committed to the message of the gospel so much so that we realize we're not the only ones who are preaching it. And we want to partner with all those who are faithfully preaching the word of God. And so Paul here mentions people who are faithfully preaching the word. He mentions people like Crescens in verse 10 and Titus, these people that he's sending to a variety of other places that need the gospel. He says that Luke is with him. This is the same Luke whose whose, uh, gospel message we will begin uh, once again next week preaching through in Luke 12. Of course, he's also the same Luke who wrote the book of Acts. And as far as we can tell, uh, he was one of Paul's faithful, closest friends here. He says, Luke alone is with me. But I'm also deeply encouraged, I hope you are as well, by the comment when he tells Timothy to get Mark and bring him with you. Why would that encourage us? Well, for one, we see Mark mentioned in a couple other epistles as being a friend of Timothy's but we also read some unique stories about a unique story about him in the book of Acts particularly in Acts 15 where Paul and Barnabas uh, split ways over Timothy's ministry. Paul had some concerns some reservations at the very least about Mark so much so that he and Barnabas said you know let's just go partner let's you know yes keep being gospel partners but let's go do what we're doing in different places because we're having a hard time working you know, cohesively right now. And Mark was the dividing issue. Mark's own hesitancy, perhaps, to minister in a particular place at the end of Acts 15. And here, after that point, Paul says, Bring Mark because he is really useful to me for ministry. This should really encourage our hearts, that there's a reconciliation happening here. There's perhaps a compromise on the part of both of these brothers, uh, Paul's included, but he's not a perfect person. Yes, he was an apostle, but he would tell you, I'm the chief of sinners. And so perhaps he was seeing one of his own blind spots, perhaps a little bit of pride on his own part, and here he is saying, bring this brother because he's useful for ministry. We need all the help we can get, and he's useful, so bring him mentions others like Tychicus. Many of these people are mentioned elsewhere. So again, if you want to look at, uh, you know, perhaps esv.org, you can see some of the cross-references. If you don't have cross-references in your own Bible, perhaps you do. But other, I guess I would just encourage you to take a little bit of time and see where these other uh, Christians are mentioned, what Paul says about them elsewhere. Usually we know very little about these people, but the bottom line is Paul was committed to the kingdom of God expanding through the encouragement of other Christians. And he knew that these brothers and sisters needed the help of the Lord in their circumstances. And so he partners with them, but he also protects them. And we need to do this for each other as well. And one of the ways that Paul protects other Christians and so encourages them is by warning about those who have either made shipwreck of their faith or have become false teachers, in so doing by making shipwreck of their faith, Or have simply fallen away because they love money, they love fame, they love immorality. Who knows what the story is behind Demas here in verse 10, but he's mentioned positively in multiple other places in the New Testament. And here, Paul says, I need your encouragement, Timothy, because Demas has left me. And why did he leave Paul? Because he loved this present world. Again, what does that mean? I don't know except that he's using the exact same language of 1 John 2 15 through 17 where John commands us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit love not this world do not love this world because what is in this world is passing away it's not going to last forever and so I would urge you to stop and ask yourself in what ways am I like Demas in what ways am I loving this world by the way that I use my time, use my money, develop my relationships, develop my portfolio, and you could go on and on. In what ways have I shown my own unfaithfulness in my heart? And this is a question we all have to examine ourselves for. Even our spouse probably isn't going to be able to be as accurate as we can be ourselves. So Paul warns Timothy here about Demas. Again, this is all for the purpose of encouraging and helping, strengthening other Christians but he also mentions this brother, or this former Christian, as far as we can tell, in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith. He's mentioned previously in 1 Timothy 6, I'll just mention, I'll just uh, read that real briefly here. I apologize, it's actually in 1 Timothy uh, 1. He says, uh, he talks about these people who have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Sounds like so far Alexander hasn't learned that lesson. In fact, Alexander was so much of an enemy to Paul that, yes, he says he did me great harm, but specifically it says, beware of him for he strongly opposed our message. Perhaps Alexander turned Paul in to the Roman authorities. Perhaps he's the reason that Paul's in jail as he writes this letter. We don't know that. It's conjecture for sure, but when he says that he did me great harm and that he strongly opposed our message, you're not getting the sense that these guys are buddy-buddy. It's quite the opposite. And he's so much of a threat that Paul tells Timothy, you need to be aware that if you come across his path, you need to run the other way. Maybe strongly rebuke him first and then run the other way. But the bottom line is this guy's trouble. So flee and get out of there. Beware of him yourself. course you have these other believers that are mentioned elsewhere down in verse 19 verse 20 and verse 21 and some of these are people where paul is saying say hello to them in other cases he says these people are saying hello and timothy would have been greatly encouraged to know that linus and claudia and Putins and these others are sending their greetings that would have been awesome for timothy to hear that these people whom i've invested in in the past are still going strong in the faith they're still persevering And I hope it encourages you when you hear of other Christians, perhaps former members of this church who have moved on to other churches or moved to other places in the country, and you hear they're still serving their church faithfully. They're still walking with the Lord. I hope that brings you great joy because the gospel needs to be strong in those places as well. What this reminds us of is that ministry is a team sport. You can't do everything. You can't be everywhere. Paul couldn't have been everything for everybody, and so that's why he has so many teammates going and spreading the message everywhere that the gospel needed to go. One day as I was playing Little League Baseball in Bullingbrook in probably 1996, I believe it was our second game of the season, and I was playing center field, and the ball was hit between the left fielder and me. So I start running over to my right here to get over toward the left field, and the left fielder bobbled the ball, which is why I went over and backed him up in the first place. So I went through, I think I actually went through the left fielder's legs. I don't remember who that kid was, but I do remember that as I leaned over to pick up the ball, I got tackled. Let me just remind you, this is a baseball game, not a football game. And I got tackled in the outfield by the right fielder, who for whatever reason believed it was his responsibility to back up the guy who was backing up the guy. And so he tackled me so he could have the chance to make a terrible throw into the infield. It was a horrifying moment. I just Dropped my glove and I said, Roger, I I do remember his name. I said, Roger, what are you doing? We're on the same team. And he clearly forgot that. His job at that moment in his mind was get the glory. And I'm going to get the glory by getting the ball. He got neither the glory nor did he make a good throw with the ball. So it was very problematic. But what I'm saying is we need to remember who's on our team. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. All these guys here in Rome, they say hey, hey to you guys in Ephesus because these guys are on the same team with you guys. Again, just to make all the connections crystal clear, this is why we pray for other churches. This is why we give to the International Mission Board. This is why we host a conference for pastors. This is why we pray for one another, because we are on the same team, wearing the same uniform, playing the same sport, and it is for the glory of God. Paul's priorities revealed what he loved. Your priorities reveal what you love. Do you love the encouragement of other Christians, giving it and receiving it? I pray that today after our service, you have the chance to give encouragement to other Christians. Maybe you can even uh, send a note to the Christians at the other churches that we pray for, for at the, the Christians at Christian Fellowship Church in Itasca. We're Lucas O'Neill pastors. That would be a way to show love and camaraderie and likeness. So prioritize the encouragement of other believers. Secondly, prioritize the preaching of the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel. Prioritize gospel seeds getting thrown all over the ground. And maybe you're not the one to water them. Maybe you are. Some people sow. Some people water. Some people see the increase. Maybe you'll see that increase. Maybe you won't. But keep proclaiming the gospel. It is a team effort. It does require teamwork to do this which is why Paul continually referred to all these other people and all these other places. He wasn't just concerned with one place. He wanted the gospel strong in all these places, places that maybe we know nothing about, like Troas or uh, Miletus in verse 20. I don't know anything about those places besides you can find them on a map, on an ancient map. You can see where they were. But what were those places like? I don't know. Paul probably knew a lot about them, though. And he was concerned about those places because the preaching of the gospel is a team effort. It's also a long-term effort, which is why Paul says in verse 17 that his life mission was to proclaim the message fully, he says in, in verse 17, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. In other words, this is going to be something that takes a long time. He knew that in his short life, the gospel was not going to be preached all over the world. But the fact that he knew he was going to die soon didn't stop him from trying, didn't stop him from making this his mission. Because he knew that was why he was saved in the first place. You can go back and read that in Acts 9 and other portions of Acts where he basically gives his testimony. I believe Acts 24 is another. He says, The Lord saved me to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, to take the truth of the gospel everywhere there are people. He knew this was a long-term effort, though, and he was going to wait for God to accomplish his plan of, of causing the gospel to spread all over the world. The Lord rescued him from the lion's mouth, he says in verse 17, which is a reminder that our lives are... Maybe I can put it this way. You are invulnerable. You will not die until God is done with you. That should bring you great confidence and great hope and great urgency as well. That I have a life. I have one life. And I am not going to waste it on the things that simply are not going to last. I'm going to make God's kingdom my priority. This is what Paul was saying he was doing and what he's urging us by implication to do ourselves. And he says, look, the Lord already rescued me from the lion's mouth. Were those real lions? I don't know. Maybe so. I mean, he's ministering in Rome. We've heard of the Roman Colosseum before. Were these you know, hypothetical lions just people who were out to get him? Maybe so. Maybe people like Alexander is what he has in mind here when he says that. But what he does make clear is that the Lord is the one who stood by him. Did you know that when no one else will stand by you. The Lord will stand by you. Let it encourage you that the Lord stands by those who stand for him, even when no one else does. So the Lord strengthened him. Earlier in this letter, he said to Timothy, may the Lord, may you be strengthened by the Lord's grace. Here he's saying, I can tell you what that's like because I've experienced it. I've lived it. The Lord has held me up even when no one else was there to do that for me. Even these gifts that he asks Timothy to bring, these belongings that he asks Timothy to bring are reminders that he was only wanting what he needed for the sake of the gospel. This cloak that he asks for may have been taken away from him when he was arrested and thrown in jail. And he's saying, please, if you get a chance, winter's coming, bring it with you. When he says bring the books, maybe those are the Old Testament. When he says bring the parchments, Maybe that's one of the gospel messages like Matthew or Mark. And he says, I need the encouragement of the Word of God so I can keep preaching it everywhere I go. Certainly, he had large portions of Scripture memorized. We see how often he alludes to previous passages of Scripture. But he knew what he needed to accomplish this mission. The proclamation of the gospel is a team effort. And again, I just want to Remind you to continue, as you so generously give, continue to do that so we can continue to cause the gospel to go far and wide. We do that here in countryside in a variety of ways. We also do that by simply uh, partnering with other missions organizations that are taking Christians to really hard-to-get-to places. And our giving encourages them to persevere. Every time those missionaries in Turkey or in Russia or in Saudi Arabia or in South Africa or anywhere else check their bank account, and it's been upped again because the International Mission Board or Frontline Missions or someone else sent money to their account. It's a reminder that there are people like us here holding up their hands and saying, keep going, keep going till the very end, even in the case of lions raging around you, of false teachers and other gospel enemies. The proclamation of the gospel is a long-term effort, which is why Paul knew he needed these coworkers to go in other places, keep preaching the same message, all the way to the time when the Lord brings His heavenly kingdom into time. But there also is an urgency about this gospel proclamation, and I just want to allude briefly to what Clayton mentioned in the pastoral prayer. A week ago, right now, there was a 14-year-old boy riding his bike around countryside, totally fine. And a week ago tonight, he has been dead since that time. Uh, 14 years old, went to the same school my kids go to. He was a freshman at LT. There's a Total accident. No one was wrong. He was not where he shouldn't have been. The driver was not where he shouldn't have been. But the bottom line is, he's dead. And there needs to be an urgency about our message when we realize how fast life can be taken away from us. And so I just want to urge you, as you go out of these doors and you get in your car and you start driving down this road and you see there's a person and there's a person, you remember that that's a soul that's going to live somewhere forever. Take the gospel message far and wide, help it go deeper and stronger as well. So I'm not saying only spend time with non-Christians, but I am saying spend time with non-Christians. And I am saying don't just give them a pat on the back, though you can do that too. Give them the truth. Tell them that Jesus is the only Savior. There is an urgency to the proclamation of the gospel. Paul's priorities at the end of life were the encouragement of other believers the proclamation of the gospel, and third, the glory of God. Make the Lord's priorities your own as well. Trust the Lord's sufficiency. You mentioned, or you notice here, Paul mentioning what the Lord did for him. He says, for instance, that the Lord stood by him, that the Lord strengthened him. He, even just by the fact that the Lord assembled a team, you see, okay, so here's another truth about God. God uses other sinners. That's a glorious truth to meditate on. That's a truth to celebrate. I made a list here of 11 truths about the Lord that He repays sinners. You see that in verse 15 where He says, uh, actually in verse, uh, let me back up here, verse 14, the Lord will repay him. What is that telling you about Paul's theology of revenge. It's saying he knew it wasn't his job to get revenge. Listen to these words that he wrote in the book of Romans to the Christians in the city that he was now in jail in. He said, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Here's where I'm thinking of specifically though, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And with that thought in mind, Paul was willing to say, the Lord will repay Alexander according to his deeds. It's not my job to go get back at him for what he did against me, the way he stood against me, the way he helped throw me in jail. Whatever else Alexander did against Paul, he knew it's the Lord's job to take care of that. I'm gonna kind of mind my own business on this and keep going strong in the gospel. And so the Lord repays him. So so here are the thoughts, uh, here are the, the truths about God that this passage tells us. The Lord repays, the Lord stands by his servant. The Lord strengthens. The Lord uses people. The Lord rescues, brings safely. The Lord deserves glory. The Lord reigns in His heavenly kingdom. The Lord unites a family, which is what Paul is describing throughout this section. The Lord is with your Spirit, and the Lord gives us grace. We'll cover some more of those details in a moment here, but I'm just saying that's 11 truths about God. In this short passage, That gloriously describes the compassion of God, the glory of God, and the purpose of God. To save sinners from eternal damnation. So trust in his sufficiency. Trust in his willingness to deal with your enemies. Trust in his ability to hold you up, to stand by you when no one else does. And wait on his timing. There was an element of patience about this passage that Paul wrote here. You notice that. He's not demanding immediate results. He knows that not everybody's going to get saved today, but he's going to keep doing today the right thing so that tomorrow he can do the right thing, so he can do the right thing every day of his life. That's what you can do as well. Daily faithfulness, daily perseverance in what is right, daily fighting against the temptations that come your way, daily helping other Christians walk with God. Paul is urging Timothy to guard the gospel, to keep the gospel going as you keep going in the gospel, even in the face of spiritual opposition from people like Alexander and great suffering like being in a nasty prison cell. We do see, I think in this passage, a sense of the community that these Christians enjoyed with one another, and I want us to pause even on that thought for a moment because I do think that now, this is an area we can continue to grow in. I love seeing conversations before and after services between you all. It is a delight to me. It is some, something that I pray for specifically throughout the week that you would be interacting with each other and texting one another and having each other over and getting together for meals after a service. All of these are ways that we can build community. Of course, I also want to remind us that my primary mission here is not to build community. I'm not going to make that my job because it's something that I can't control. What I am going to do is keep preaching the gospel and keep telling sinners that when you're reconciled with God, you're reconciled with other people who are reconciled with God. But then I encourage you, as those who are reconciled by the grace of God, to spend time with other people like that and to be getting into the the nitty-gritty details of each other's lives, building trusting relationships with one another so that when you're having a bad day, you can text a handful of people from our church or call a handful of people in our church and tell them, I really need your prayers today. And I have that experience myself, and I encourage you to be developing this network of other Christians who can hold your hand on the hardest days of your life so you can stand together. I love the way that this passage, besides urging community, urging friendship, urging knowing who Christians are in other places, I love the way that it urges or that it that promotes both the, the fact that both men and women have roles in gospel ministry, in serving God's kingdom. I mean, you look at the, the mention of Claudia here at the end of verse 21. We don't know anything about Claudia. Maybe she was a super generous hostess who loved to have people in her home and she would maybe be like uh, like someone just standing in the background making the, the food and keeping everything. You know, keeping the coffee pot full and things like that so that other people can have a gospel conversation in their home, so that other people can evangelize people in the neighborhood. We don't know anything about Claudia. But I love the fact that God uses both men and women to accomplish glorious gospel work, glorious kingdom work. As I mentioned earlier, another implication of this passage is reconciliation. We saw this between Mark and Paul. I just want to urge you, if you have some kind of offense between you and another Christian here in our congregation particularly, I would urge you to deal with that. And if you need help before you deal with that, please talk to another mature Christian in our congregation. It can be any number of people who would say, you could say to them, there is a situation, it didn't go well, or this conversation that didn't go well. Can you help me think through the best way to get right with that person so that we can go on marching the same direction, marching to the same beat of our Captain Jesus' orders and seeking God's glory alone. This was what Paul was concerned about, to him be the glory forever and ever. And this is what we should be consumed with as well. And the way we show that God's glory is our highest priority is by the way that we fight sin and help other people fight sin. By the way, that we give of our time and our homes and every resource we possibly can so that we can see gospel advance, kingdom growth. This is what we as a church are here to do. We do lots of other things too. You remember last Christmas we gave Christmas mugs or coffee mugs with Christmas candy in them? It was a good thing to do. I'm glad we did that. I'm glad last October we made homemade pumpkin pies and cinnamon rolls and brownies and all kinds of other things that you all made. And we gave them to our neighbors. That wasn't because our neighbors don't have food or don't have money to buy food. It was to tell them, we love you and we want to help you. We want to teach the gospel to you and to your children and your grandchildren. We want to be a resource to you. I'm glad we did that as well. But I will say that if we didn't give them food, they still would have gotten food. But if we don't give them the gospel, will someone else give them the gospel? We don't know, but it is our job. And these people, especially these people who we gave these these food items to a year ago, they were the closest people to our church. We did that on purpose. In some sense, we have a sense of responsibility for those people. And yes, many of them uh, go to other churches, have perhaps other faith backgrounds. It doesn't stop us from loving them, wanting to encourage them, which is why we gave them something nice instead of something crummy. (laughs) We want to love them well. And so... This is part of what it looks like to pursue the glory of God forever and ever, all while waiting confidently for the Lord to rescue us from every evil deed and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. Jim Elliot, who made that statement about not being a fool to give up your one life, did give up his one life along with four of his closest friends. He flew into Ecuador to preach the gospel and was quickly killed. All five of those men were quickly killed because of their faith. But his testimony continues to reverberate. We are inspired by the fact that they were willing to give their lives, going into that situation, knowing that very well may happen. We're also inspired by the fact that his family moved to that place and continued that gospel ministry there, and that many Christians have resulted from that sacrifice. It's not foolish to live for another world when that world is bigger and better than this one. It is foolish to live for this world when we think it's all there is, when we think that he who dies with the most toys wins. He who dies with the most toys still dies and no longer has the toys. May the Lord give us grace to live for the encouragement of other believers, for the proclamation of the gospel, and for the glory of God alone. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for Christ who stands by us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit working invisibly in hearts behind the scenes, even in our own hearts as we gather in this room together today. And we look forward to your eternal kingdom, but until that day, may we be characterized by these priorities, your priorities that reveal what we love. We pray that you would make us people who love you and your glory above all else. In Christ's name, amen.